So, we're now holding, we discussed so far in regards to the uh, conference about how the Tzamaq Sadek um, uh, prepared for it. Now we're going to move on to who were who the delegates? Who were the other people chosen to be as uh, delegates, that representative of the Yidin in this conference of rabbis? <clears throat> so, the thing is like this. The ministers needed to give a sense of credibility to, the, to all the resolutions. So if they're going to pick, for example, five maskilim, no one's going to care what this conference of rabbis said. So they wanted the Jews to have the impression that all the resolutions that would be passed were approved by the representatives of the Jewish people. So in order to achieve this, count... Ben Kindorf, the head of the third section, which we said was the forerunner of the NKVD and the KGB, and Count Uvarov, who was the Minister of Culture, and also other ministers, uh, Interior, Finance, Justice, they asked the Maskilim to divide the Yidin into groups according to religious views. So, they were told, Maskilim said, there's four basic groups of Yidin in Russia. So they decided they're going to appoint four delegates, each one representing his own group. And each delegate would have one vote. And in case there's ever a split decision, then he, the minister of the third section, who was a guy, and also the, he was also in charge of the whole conference, he would make the deciding vote. So if it was two against two, he would vote. So who were the four delegates? So the Rebbe the Tzamaq Tzedek represented the Hasidim. Right, that was one group of people. Rebbe Yitzchak Velazhiner, you might have heard of Rebbe Chaim Velazhiner, student of the, the Vilna Gaon. So his son was Rebbe Yitzchak Velazhiner. He represented the Misnagdim. Then there was another Frumiyid, his name was Rabbi Yisrael Halprin. He represented the businessmen. Meaning he, was, he didn't represent Misnagdim or Hasidim. He represented businessmen. And then, of course, the very learned Maskil, Betzalel Stern, would represent the Maskilim. Now since the government officials spoke only Russian, they didn't understand Yiddish, so an official interpreter was needed. And to perform this function, they chose a maskil who would also serve as a consultant to the ministers, but he wouldn't have any voting power. The delegates were also allowed to bring their own interpreters to translate their answers if they wanted to into Russian, also to explain to them what the ministers are saying. So Count Benkendorf, the head of the third section, he, the, again, he was the chairman of the conference. He was in charge. So he greeted the four delegates and then presented each delegate with a schedule and topics that they would be voting on. And the first topic that would be addressed would be the automatic acceptance of the curriculum which was being designed for all Jewish children by the Minister of Education. So to put it in perspective, imagine if the head, the secretary of the 
of the uh, Department of Education in the, in the United States of America. I don't think anyone even knows who that is these days, or ever. If he wakes up one day and says, he's going to make an official curriculum for Jews. I'm sorry, what does he know a thing about curriculum for Jews? He never studied a day in his life, Jew, Jewish subjects, and even if he did, he's not a from, he's not a yid, I don't even know, I don't even know if it's a man or a woman, Bechlal. But the point is like, and this, this was even worse because if here in America, you, you could say, oh, it's not like such an anti-Semitic thing. They just want everyone to be similar. Over there, it was totally anti-Semitic. The whole point was to get them, uh, you know, further away from Yiddishkeit. <coughs> so when, when they read, when the Tzemach Sedeq read the, the, uh, the conference's agenda, what would be happening, so the Tzemach Sedeq got up on his feet and he said in a very respectful but powerful way. So before I said what he said, remember, the whole reason why they chose the Semach Sedek is because they thought he would be a pushover. He hates Machlekes. He never wants to argue with anybody. And this is what he said to, to, to Count Benkendorf. He says, we were called here to voice our opinion on what is considered Jewish religious observance. Not to put our signatures on what other people have prepared for us. I will not sign any prepared document. And if you're not happy with that, I'm ready to resign my position as representative and, and I'll just leave the conference. Now, they don't want that to happen because then it will make the whole conference look bad. Now, one of the maskilim <clears throat> standing behind the, 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 the Count Benkendorf he whispers something in his ear. And so then the count looks at him angrily and he says, Doesn't your Talmud say that the law of the country is considered the law? Right? That, it does say that. You can't go against the laws of the country. So, so he was basically trying to say, if, if this is the law the country is setting for its citizens, even the, even the Gemara agrees that you have to go with it. And the Rebbe said back to him, Yes, the Torah obligates us to accept the laws of the countries that we live in. However, that is only in matters of taxes and business, uh, you know, things like that, and how to, how, to, how to act towards each other. For example, if there's a law that you're not allowed to go past the red light, it doesn't make a difference if it's allowed or not allowed according to Torah. You don't go past the red light because dinah dimachos But however... It doesn't mean that we have to allow, we, uh, it doesn't allow us to accept any decree or law or regulation that affects our religion. If the country, of, if the, if the, if the country decided that no Jews allowed to diamond chakras, we don't say, oh, the law of the land is the law, we don't have to diamond chakras. No! When it comes to religious things, we don't have to follow such a thing. Even something that's a simple minog. And the count, in a very like uh, putting down type of way, he says, does that also include the Jewish custom of Jewish women that they cover their eyes when they light Shabbos candles? Are you going to say that that's also part of Torah? And Tzimach Sadiq says, a hundred percent. The Talmud Yerushalmi says that the minhagim of Jewish women are considered Torah. And this way he responded, it was, it was just too much for the, for the chairman, for Count Benkendorf to accept. And he gave the Rebbe a warning. He said, your position of opposing the government is, is equal to treason 
and you should be severely punished for this. However, since this is your first offense, I'm going to be leaning with you just this one time. And you're going to be placed under house arrest for only three days. But make sure that from now on, you're careful to fulfill your obligation as a loyal citizen to help uh, bring the czar's guidelines, right, to, to, to plan it, to get it uh, for the Jewish people. Now, this was the Tzemach Tzedek's official uh, welcome to the conference and just a little taste of what was to come in the upcoming sessions. However, as we're soon going to see, these threatening words did the op- had the opposite effect. It only made him stronger to not give in to anything. Now, in the government's original plans, the entire conference was supposed to last about a week or so. And a large majority of the resolutions were supposed to have been passed. And although they participated, they, they, meaning they, 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 they understood that obviously not every, we're not, there's no way we're going to pass everything at the conference. It's just not possible. But most of the things we could, we could push our way to get it this way. But they did not anticipate how strong the Tzemach Sadiq would be against like every little thing. And it was the complete opposite of what they expected. So according to their sources, the Tzadik of Lubavitch was, uh, he didn't like to fight. He, 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 he stayed away from Achloikis. And faced with this new reality, that they, they realized, okay, it's not going to be as easy as we thought. They felt that they had to break his spirit to get him to give in. So he was put under house arrest and other things. Continuously, throughout the whole conference, he was arrested for 22 times, 22 different times he was put under house arrest. Either for openly going against the government, meaning saying things against the government, or saying that he's never going to agree to anything. Um, and each time he was put under arrest, the conference had to be put on, put on hold till the, till the house arrest was over. And... Sometimes the, resist, the, the, the house arrest would be, oh, you can't leave your house for the next four hours. All right, that's one. Right, and then would, like the first time was three days. So it was between a few hours and a few days, depending on which time it was. But remember, it was 22 times over the course of the whole conference. Now, as a result, this conference that was supposed to last a week, or two at the most, 16 weeks later is still going on. Now, this was, of course, the Tzemach Tzedek had no problem with this because the longer this went on, the, the, more, the more fighting, you know, he was, he was prepared to fight till the end. However, it wasn't only the ministers and the maskilim who were taken aback how strong the Tzemach Tzedek was fighting. Even Rabbi Yitzchak Velazhiner, who was the representative for the Misnagdim, he also obviously was against any of these guidelines, but, but he, he, he couldn't believe how strong the Tzemach Tzedek was willing to to push against these things. And he was scared. Rabbi Yitzchak Velazhiner was worried about the Rebbe's safety, that they would try to you know, do something to the Rebbe. And when he saw how the ministers were becoming angrier and angrier each time the, the Tzemach Tzedek did something, so he asked the Tzemach Tzedek, he says, where in the Torah does it say that you have to be prepared to give up your life, to, to che- even these little tiny changes, where does it say you have to give up your life for that? And the Tzemach Tzedek said, you're right. 
There's no Torah obligation to have a serious nefesh for, for these li- this little thing or that little thing. However, there is an obligation to make a Kiddush Hashem for even what might be considered a small part of Judaism. So therefore, refusing to give in to these things, right? I, I, it's not like I, I, I'm standing up for that thing. I'm making a Kiddush Hashem by doing this. On another occasion, the Yitzchak Vlazhner witnessed the, the rage of Count Benkendorf, who was known for his hatred of Yidin, and uh, the Tzemach in particular, he hated him. And he was afraid that the Count would actually carry out his threat to, to uh, um, convict the Tzemach of treason, going against the government. And what do you think the punishment is for that? Death, right? And Rabbi Yitzhak Velazhin asked the Tzemach Sadek, he says, what will happen with all your Hasidim? Like, if, like what was, if you get killed, you can't do this. And the Tzemach Sadek answered, I have my sons, don't worry about it. Like, like, my sons will take care of everything. The second answer that he gave, a different time that he, that he said it, is when Hasidim will stay together, that Achtas will help them overcome all enemies and obstacles. And even the Moscow representative, Betzalo Stern, he obviously desired to vote for anything the government wanted to change. But he began to admire and, and even respect the Rebbe, how strong he was against these things. And one time, after one of the meetings, it was a very heated meeting by the conference, the Rebbe was summoned to the office of the Minister of Culture. And realizing the seriousness of the situation, so Bitsalo Stern offered, he said, I want to act as an interpreter for the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, my chassid, Rabbi Yisrael Chaikin, who we mentioned earlier, he will interpret for me and, and relay my answer. However, if you want to come, I don't have a problem if you're going to be there. At the meeting, an official read out loud a long list of the Tzemach Sedek's, you know, crimes uh, against the government. And he put a lot of emphasis on the fact that during this entire conference, the Tzemach Sedek had repeatedly said that the government had no right to make any change whatsoever in Jewish observance or tradition, minhagim. And when the, minister, when the official finished reading all these uh, charges, it's terrible, Avedis, so the minister says to him, he says, this is treason. You are constantly making fun of the government. And he looks straight at the Tzemach Tzedek and he said, I would like to know what Rabbi Schneerson has to say about this. However, before the Rebbe could reply, Betzalel Stern, he replied in perfect German. So even though it was Russia, German was spoken by a lot of people as well as French. English was not spoken at that time. Um, all these great houses are all related to each other. I think Benkendorf was from Germany originally. <laughs> so, like That gives you an idea. So and he answered in, in perfect German. He said, in the name of intellectual honesty and, and, and just the purity of culture, of which I'm sure you're the minister, you're, you're the minister of, uh, you know, uh, what do we say, he's the minister of culture. You, you obviously understand these things. I cannot hold back 
from saying that what the official just said is absolutely not true. In fact, it's a straight out lie. It, it's the exact opposite of Rabbi Schneerson's conduct. Yeah, it's true he's against all the changes and the guidelines that the government wants to make, but he never does it in a mean way or trying to put down the government. He always does it with respect and in a very refined way. Towards the end of the conference, right? So about, it's a Batawa story. We could see he, got it, he started getting a respect for the Rebbe. It's probably not what the Maskilim had in mind when they appointed him to be the uh, representative. So anyways, towards the end, of the, mas- the, end of the end of the conference, the discussion turned to the importance of studying Hasidus. So now we have a problem. Because you don't even need to go that far. Um, it's not good. That you had, it's, it's a is a He's going to say that it's important to study Hasidus? No. So what happened? And when it came to deciding whether learning Hasidus should be considered a necessity for those who think it's so, meaning not that everyone has to learn Hasidus, the question is if I think Hasidus is important, is it a necessity for me to study Hasidus? That was the question. And the, the beginning vote was not so favorable. Now, the thing is like this. Since Rabbi Yitzchak Velazhiner didn't learn Hasidus, so he said, listen, I'm not going to vote yes or no, I'm just not going to vote. Like, my vote won't count. So grabbing this opportunity, the minister, who is, of course, coached by his advisors, oh, in that, if that's the case, we have to follow the rules of the Talmud. Right? That's your Talmud I'm quoting over here. It says, I and Mr. Cern voted against it. While Rabbi Schneerson and Mr. Halprin voted for it. So according to your Talmud, Rabbi Yitzchak is sitting here. He's not voting either way. So he's silent. Silence is as if he agrees with us and therefore his vote is counted with us. So it's three against two. Hasidus is not necessary. And the Tzemach Sadek said, regardless of what is decided here, the learning of Hasidus must and will continue. Especially since I can interpret Rabbi Yitzchak's silence to me that he agrees with me. So it's three against two my way. So we're the majority. Rabbi Yitzchak then said, yes, that's taken my vote. I agree with them. <laughs> but the minister didn't let him change his vote. He said, you know, you already said you're not voting. You're too late. According to uh... so anyway, soon afterwards, when when the conference was about to resume, so it, it, basically it didn't look so good in regards to the Hasidic question. So the Rebbe said to his son, accompanying him, that it's time to take a walk in the park. And they go in for a walk in the park, and they meet Mr. Stern, Betzalel Stern, right, the Moscow. Um. When, when he met him, he first asked him, do you believe in reward and punishment? Do you believe that there is a world to come? And Betzalel Stern, even though he was a masculine, they don't believe in anything, right? He said, yes, I believe that there is reward and punishment and I believe in the world to come. The Maril later said, Maril was the son who was there, 
He said, I felt that when my father asked him these two questions, he never believed in those things. But when my father asked the questions, it, it gave him that belief. So he answered yes. Anyways, so he turns to Batalo Stern and the Rebbe says, the Gemara says that there are those who could acquire their share in Olam Haba in one moment. And he looks straight at Batalo Stern and he says, and this is your moment. You have a chance now to earn Olam Haba. And shortly afterwards, much to the shock of the ministers, when the meeting continued, Mr. Stern, the Moscow, voted in favor of the teachings of Hasidus. Now, Mr. Stern's admiration for the Tzemach Sedek every single day grew more and more to the extent that when he got back from the conference, he started keeping many mitzvahs that he never cared about. He made sure, Batalo Stern was the Moscow, right? So he made sure all, his house, everything was kosher. He took on other mitzvahs, right? So obviously he, he didn't leave the same Moscow that he came. 